Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me this week is someone who I've probably mentioned about 25 times in the 12 episodes or 13 episodes as it is today of this podcast, so I figured it was probably time to actually have him on. So I have the one and only Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy. What's going on, Jeff? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Vincent? I am rocking and rolling, man. Having a great day. Been super productive. And I get to come home and I get to chat with my buddy Jeff for a little while. So all in all, a good day. Sounds good. Yeah. So um, let's see. Last time we spoke, you were on Because We Make. And you had just done, you had just finished the Maker's Magic Toolbox. And I do believe that we righted a wrong, so to speak, <laughs> by you actually won the the Unwrap a Challenge, Unwrap a Project Challenge. I do believe you won, correct? That was the winning project, was the Maker's Magic yep. Toolbox. Yep, yep. I won the second one. There, yep. there, there weren't any Bernies in that contest, so <laughs> I was able to, to pull that one in. <laughs> The running that's been the running joke for those of you that for those of you that need a little bit of recap or who are new to the podcast because we make the podcast this podcast before it was digitally creative um, because we make we had a challenge called the enlighten us challenge and Jeff produced an absolute killer chain chomp lamp it was an just a banger of a project. And freaking Bernie Solo comes in and he does something completely batshit with his CNC and a saw and makes a lamp. And it was just like, oh, man, there's just just no way. Like, he has to win. This this is terrible. He has to win. Like, well, (laughs) I I mean, I made a cool project, but I mean, he attached a circular saw to his CNC and cut dados with it. So I mean, <laughs> something that I know you, I know you as a person are probably very much in favor of, but would not recommend to anybody else, of course, but something that no. I, you were probably watching it going, yeah, I, I, I like that. <laughs> That's it's something that I would do, but probably wouldn't recommend to do. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the case for most of the stuff that you do, right? Because one of the things that you've become known for, you and I got our shape Ocos at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you have just I'm not I'm not even gonna lie, like I am jealous of how well you have taken to it and how quickly you've already started pushing it to its limits. In fact, uh just a couple of days ago, I won't go too far into it, but you posted in your stories. Yep, another hole. And I was just laughing. I'm like, damn it, he did it again, you know? But yep. you've done some you've really just done some wild stuff with your shape Oko since you got it. Yeah, yeah, I was I was actually mounting the workpiece on the table below the shape Oko because I was cutting a what is it, two and a half inch tall piece of inlay and I needed the clearance. So new hole and then <laughs> you know it is what it is. It's it's only spoil board and uh, the MDF that makes up the actual piece of the shape Oko base. But I mean, it's only MDF, really. I mean, it's I not feel like, I, I feel like early on, early on into our shape Oko journeys, you introduced me to Dennis Van Hoff. And ever since then, I feel like like a spark got lit with you and like what you could do with this machine. And all of a sudden it went from this would be cool to have to, I could do some cool things with it to 
this guy is bonkers and I want to be equally bonkers someday. Like you aspire to be that level of bonkers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I don't have the interest in the larger scale projects that he does where he's, mm-hmm. he, he's doing, you know, uh, three sided carves on something that's 24 inches long mm-hmm. or tall. And I'm, I'm more into the smaller detail work than the larger stuff. And that makes sense. It, it's, it makes more sense with the shape. Oko. I don't have a whole lot of room. I would have to take out the entire base to sink anything larger in there, which is what Dennis did mm-hmm. for his stuff. But I I'm happier doing insanity on a smaller scale. Uh, it- you know, it's fun watch. It's fun watching you because the shape Oko has this reputation of being this more of like um a blunt instrument, even though it can be very precise. And then I watch you doing like the Groot the Groot bust, and it's like the detail level with a one thirty second end mill, just like tiny little bits, just taking off detail, detail, detail. And it's like, yeah, this machine's more than capable of doing that stuff. It's just nobody does that stuff with it, you know. Right. Do you find that? Do you find that to be like? your experience with the machine in general, that it's capable of doing more than it's given credit for. And that's why you push the limits because you just kind of have this sense of what it's actually capable of. Well, it does have specific limits, mm-hmm. but it's limits don't seem to be on the precision end of the scale. The, the, the limits are much leaning towards the power side of the scale where it's it's driven by quarter inch belts. There's no mm. there's no screw drive here, a ball screw drive, none of that. There's right. quarter inch belts, and it's powered with a what is it? A Makita trim router? What is it? A one, yeah, it's a Makita one router. A even the what is that? Yeah, even the one, carbon create one, one, horse, is still, one and a quarter, yep, something yep, little yep, like yep, that. Yep. So yep. I mean, the limitations are you can't just go blasting through a three quarter inch piece of ply with one pass because it just hasn't got the the balls for that it hasn't got the power and it hasn't got the you know stability for it so what it does have is the ability to delicately precision cut anything you would like it to do so that's really what i like to do with it it's what it excels at and Other you, than being out of the box, dead simple for, you know, basic CNC use, obviously, you know, your signs oh, and your stuff. Yeah. I, what you did, what you've done, what you've done really well is you've kind of, well, for example, the, the most recent video you did, um, your SVG to toolpath video, um, which I like to say that I had a small part in the production of that video. At least the, I was the guinea pig for the, for the video, but it was, it was amazing to see what you could do with professional software and that machine, because there are things that I've bumped into over the years with it, where I'm like, Oh, it would be so nice if it could do this. And then, you know, like flattening, like flattening is Mm -hmm. just so much easier with fusion 360 than it'll ever be with carbide create. Like it, it just is. I'm so there's some basic functionality that I feel like if they just added into carbide create, it would be perfect software and they've made great strides with it. But man, when you showed me all the stuff in Fusion, I was just like, wow, a couple of clicks and I'm done. Well, like, it's yeah. remarkable. Fusion is a completely different beast because mm-hmm. 
it is not at its heart a CNC toolpath software. It's a 3D modeling and tooling software, and it's got more attachments than an entire infantry of Swiss Army guys. <laughs> so it does everything in any way, but it's primarily a 3D software. It thinks in 3D. It looks in 3D. Mm-hmm. And it's a very visual 3D uh, interface, whereas uh, your Vectric and your Carbide and your Easels are basically 2D software with some 2.5 and occasionally 3D features kind of yep. tacked on as an afterthought. But That's exactly it's it. primarily a 2D software, but Fusion... It, it's it's a very visual way to work because you can just model the project you want. I mean, if if you've got a cutting board and you model the cutting board in three dimensionals, you know, you draw the dimensions of it, you extrude it out, you've got the cutting board, and then you can say, well, I want to put some and a, a V carve down one side with the with the customer's name on it. You can actually put that. Well, V-Carve's not really a good thing for Fusion. That's a bad example. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, example if you were understood, to, though, <laughs> if, you, if you just wanted to make some pockets that you're going to either inlay or fill with some resin that, you know, you can just literally put the text on the sketch and put it right into the picture so you can see exactly what you're going to get. And then you can use that to visually build the tool paths. And while Fusion actually does have a simulate button, which will literally watch the tool run around the path, I don't use it very often because once it generates the tool path, you can actually see the lines wrapping around the shape. So you can uh-huh. see where it's going to go and where it's not going to go. The only time you really need to run simulate is if you're curious as to where it's going to go first or you know what order it's going to go and you know whether it's going to run into anything else is something good to watch it actually but i mean i don't even use that very often because it's such a visual you can see where the toolpath's going to be on the overview yeah. and you can see what material it's going to leave behind which is even cooler that was something that caught, that was those were two, that was something that actually caught me when we were when you were showing me how to do the the tool, the SVGs the toolpaths um, the way it shows you what material is going to be left behind and what what you're going to be dealing with, and it's just such a more it's it's such a more visual way to look at your project rather than you know starting with let's say a design and cut this out of a piece of stock, and it just shows you what the design is going to look like cut out of the piece of stock. This actually shows you the stock as well. Like oh mm-hmm. yeah, this is going to be left behind. We're not going to touch this. You know, it makes you a more competent, it makes you a more competent designer too, because you have to, you're now accounting for these things that, you know, otherwise you end up crashing an end mill into, not that I've done that, not that I've done that, but you end up crashing an end mill into something because you forget about, oh yeah, that's right. There's stock on the other side of that design. (laughs) Well, I I think everybody's crashed an end mill into something at some point in their life. (laughs) Um, If you haven't crashed it, it's because you're not using it. It's like when I was talking to Lindsay. 
and we were talking about jeweler saw blades. And I said, you know who has never broken a jeweler saw blade? A person who's never used a jeweler saw. Like you break yeah. blades constantly. It's the, that's why they sell them by the gross. You don't buy 144 of something that's not consumable. <laughs> right. So. Uh, I'm I'm happy to say that I've never broken any real end mills. And by real end mills, I mean real sized end mills. I I don't <laughs> really count those one thirty second inch end mills. Toothpicks. <laughs> I've broken, I believe, t- about twenty of those, <laughs> and I've got my third ten pack sitting here. But I'm happy to say that I haven't broken one of them in months. So I think I've finally nailed the the proper speed for that i've broken yeah. one in three years it was the one eighth i broke okay. the one eighth. i broke a one eighth and again it's because it's these skinny bits and all i did like i just wasn't paying close enough attention and i turned it on machine spins up it's fine it's spinning at the right speed i got that much right it was spinning at eighteen thousand, and all of a sudden i'm like uh oh I forgot some and I just forgot to change like it was the the amount of depth per pass I think it was and the thing just went straight into a piece of walnut and I hear clink and I'm like yep that's the end of that one took it up there's like I don't even know where the rest of that end mill is I, I, I kept it because it was so funny to me like if you didn't know the size of that end mill you'd have no idea that the piece was off it but I heard it clink in the wood and I'm like yeah I broke that one (laughs) so i think that's part of the that's part of the territory though it's it's learning curve and Mm -hmm. they're they're considered consumables so it's okay um i'm just i i tend to start my paths very conservative and then Mm -hmm. ramp them up as i feel more comfortable because i've messed things up i've forgotten to set multiple depths at which point yeah it wants to jump in and and do a half an inch in one pass but i i've gotten to the point over the years where i start my paths at like half speed and Mm -hmm. then once i see that the depths and the step overs are actually what i wanted them to be and everything's running smoothly then i'll ramp it back up but Mm -hmm. until then I'm I've got my eyeballs on it and I've got my finger on the damned pause button because that's, that's, that's really the only reason I haven't broken things. And it's not because I don't screw things up. Oh, sure. It's because I've gotten cautious and I keep my finger on the pause button until I'm sure it's going to do what I thought I asked it to do. Thought. Where did you, where did your, where does your fusion knowledge come from? Cause I know where mine came from and I know how long it took me and how many so i took um vlad mariano's um fusion 360 for 3d printing class on skillshare um he's at desktopmakes.com you can actually take his class now you can take that same class directly from him you don't have to go to skillshare to take it and i took bob's um class from i like to make stuff fusion 360 for woodworkers i think it's called or fusion 360 for furniture or something whatever it's called whatever he calls that class yeah, I've seen took- both of those. Um, I I actually did a, a a free trial on Skillshare because you said that that's the program that you need to, to look at, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of gave me a start. But I really didn't get a good feel for it from him. 
you know, it just didn't really. It was click a different. For me too well. You were looking for different. You were looking for different things than he was teaching out of it. I mean, it it does right. teach you the app, but it doesn't. It's not going to teach you the cam part, which is what you need to. Well, learn. I I wasn't even looking for cam right off the bat. I was mm. just trying to get a feel for the software at all oh. and the CAD side. I mean, and I I've had some previous CAD experience with other software, so I mean. Mm-hmm. I normally expect to pick things up pretty quickly because I've got lots of software experience since, you know, people started writing software because I'm old <laughs> and I've had computers since they made home computers. Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we're both, we both got some gray in the old beard here. I understand completely. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, he just didn't really click too well for me. Okay. But then uh, then I did buy the... Uh, the the bobs i like to make stuff uh fusion for makers class i I got it on uh uh, the black friday sale two Mm -hmm. years ago and then i watched that i think i made it i don't know maybe two-thirds of the way through i think i made it through the modeling section and then i got to the part where they explained how to do the setups and how to start doing a toolpath and then I was too busy playing with Fusion to actually finish the rest of that course. I think I went back like a year later and actually forced myself to watch it just in case I missed some good information. But mm-hmm. I was just too darned busy playing with it, having fun, and and I just ran with it from that point. That's all the education I've had with it. I mean, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos that were, you know, Fusion-related. But otherwise, I'm a... I'm an F around and find out kind of guy and fusion is absolutely dead simple in the fact that once you understand the basic incomprehensible concepts that make the software work, which, you know, for CAD is figuring out that the workflow involves making a sketch, putting your vectors on a sketch, coming out of the sketch and then extruding those into 3d objects. That's the inscrutable detail that you will never just get sure. automatically. You have to be taught that one because it doesn't intuitively make any damn sense. Once mm-hmm. you get it, it, it's great. But until then, you need to be taught that one. And for the cam side, it's the setup. You know, And one, once somebody's explained how the setup works and it just sort of generates what part you're going to cut, which side you're going to cut it from, which side is up and which direction you want your, you know, zero uh, origin to be pointed at. And what are you going to cut it out of are all things that are hidden in that setup button. Once you get those two things, everything else is really self-explanatory because Everything you hover over in Fusion gives you this, not not just an alt text, it pops up an entire pop-up window with yep. a full explanation and graphics yep. of exactly what every checkbox and text field is going to do for you, vaguely. Yep. Very little do you have to actually go research to figure out what something does, because you hover it, and it'll tell you. Fusion's come, Fusion's come a long way over the last... I mean, I've been using it since 2017, and it's come a long way since I started using it. Like it is, I know that there's been a lot of changes where people have looked at it and gone, oh, why are you changing this? Why are you changing? And they have changed a lot. They've changed that interface drastically. 
But I think that the current iteration right now is probably where it's going to live for a while because I think it's the most functional it's been since I started using it. And I imagine I can't be the only one, although I mostly hear complaints. I rarely hear praise. But I, I really do believe that as far as the UI and the way that it exposes features right now, I think they've kind of taken what was good about Fusion 360. And you know how you said it had the animated, you know, when you hover over something, it does an animated explanation of stuff. That was Adobe. Adobe was doing that with, with Creative Cloud and Creative Suite. They started doing that with all, because their apps are the same way. They're super duper dense and they're not always intuitive. So when you hover over a tool now, you get those graphical display of, it does this, this is what you have to do. And it's like, I think they've really done a good job now of taking an interface that was powerful but clunky and kind of streamlining it a little bit in a good way, even though it hurt the people that were in routines. Well, I, I don't know how much it's really changed. I'm not a super expert in interfaces, but I, I will say that wherever they stole it from, it's very advanced, competent programming with user usability in mind mm -hmm. um i'm i i don't know if i ever would have figured out half of what i do with fusion if they wouldn't have just automatically popped up and told me what each one of the damned buttons does so and it, it'd be a lot more work to figure things out i love that we're watching i love that um for those of you watching this episode i love that jeff has over his left shoulder he has rosie his um his shape oko Jeff and I named it's it's interesting. We kind of named them using the same mindset, just different robots. Mine is named Tweaky and his is named Rosie. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, by the way, you'd be surprised, Jeff, how many people don't know who Tweaky is. And it really bugs me. So, um, you know, nerds, we're a secret society. But um, I love I'm looking at it now, like just I'm marveling. It was, that was one of the one of the first full projects you did after you got it. And I know you didn't necessarily use the CNC for the whole thing, but I love that I could see Rosie in the background as we're talking about yeah. Rosie. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. She, she wasn't uh, digital in any way. She was just a mm -hmm. uh, manually cut and weld project. And she's uh, become a character in your videos now too, which is kind of cool. She never, she never really got finished and I feel sort of bad about that, but, uh, she was originally going to have arms and uh, I started with the, with the picture of Rosie in vacuum mode with the hose uh -huh. coming out of her chest. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So that was the original plan was I've got a small corrugated, a small corrugated plastic hose that would attach to her chest. And I was going to make it run down and make it look like she was doing the dust collection for me. But I got down to the part where making the arms was really hard and mm. I got distracted by something else shiny that <laughs> had a time limit on it. No, I had a, I, I ran into a project with a time limit. There was mm -hmm. the, there was the mystery maker collab and uh, I got a box of parts from one person and then I had to make something out of it to give to someone else. And that ended up being a boat that I gave to Austin from high caliber. Uh, pretty wild. In and of but itself. 
but you know, I, I got the parts in the mail and I wanted to have the project done and sent to its recipient in time for Christmas. So Rosie went on hold at the unfortunate time where she was at a very difficult spot where I wasn't sure how I was actually going to pull off the arms. And then between my resistance of ever going back to an unfinished project, and especially <laughs> if that unfinished project is at a particularly difficult spot, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, I, I keep moving forward and the poor girl's got no arms and no hose, but That's you know, okay. she's, She's still a character. She's still, got, she's, she's still got the place of honor over here on top of the CNC. I love, I love, I, one thing I will say, one thing I will say, um, my journey with resin 3D printing has just been an absolute horror show. And if it wasn't for you constantly churning out awesome stuff with your Mars, I swear I never would have got back into it again. Like it, it was just, I, every single time I tried, it was a disaster every time. And for the first time, I actually have a resin 3D printer that I like that works, that works reliably. And that I'm very, 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 very happy with, but watching you, that's another thing. So for those of you that don't follow along, Jeff, isn't just a CNC guy. He's also a hell of a competent 3D printer user. Um, I'm, I'm super impressed by how quickly you got your Mars running. Cause as everyone that listens to this podcast knows I've had two and I never got either one of them working. So the fact that you well, got, you got yours working at the level it did, and I've seen prints from it, so I know it's good, but, um, I'd, I'd like to take some magic credit for being super intelligent and mastering this complicated technique, but <laughs> You I'm going to take credit you, for that. It's fine. <laughs> I, I, I took this thing out of the box and I watched the setup video and it says run the loosen the two screws. So it, the, the, the plate is floppy and it says run it all the way down until it presses firmly into the, the, the glass top below it, at which point, you know, it's absolutely perfectly level. And it says tighten this screw down first and then tighten that screw. And I said, okay, I did that. And it says, go up a little bit and put a piece of paper under it and then go down until it says it's about the right, whatever you're supposed to feel with the paper. And then you push the Z, the, the zero it right here button. And then I poured resin in it and I downloaded a, about 648 models from Thingiverse and I printed <laughs> them out and you know, and three fourths of them have actually been functional models and working. Um, I've done very little practical work with it. I've only done, I don't know, two or three projects that were actually useful, but it's mostly tchotchkes and, you know, crap. Um, I think that's what most, I hate to say it as much as I love 3d printing and as much as I know it's useful for a lot of things, I think that's what most people are doing with their 3D printers. I hate to say it, but well, they go on Thingiverse, they get a thing, and they download and they print it, and that's a day. I hate to say you know, it. But. I, we, we've printed probably 15 different Mario characters at different scales and different colors. <laughs> and, you know, I've got a, a, a teen that's into video games, and he wants to print anything he can find. It's like two days ago, we printed a couple of monsters from the original Doom game. That oh wow! We, that well, he was playing the. 
I think it's the original. I don't know. It's 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 out on Switch that he yeah, just got the original. First, he got the first Doom, the first Doom on Switch for Christmas. So he wanted to play. So he wanted to look for this. So we went to Thingiverse and we typed in Doom and we found a couple of monsters and printed the darn things out for him. And now he's got a couple of more monsters to add to his shelf. But you know, as someone, it is what it is. As someone who's been in gaming a long time. I mean, we talked about the last time you were on, we spent a lot of time talking about how you got your start as a maker. And one of the things that you were into before you were even a maker maker was modding Xboxes. As someone who's into original Xboxes, as someone who's into game or in has a history with gaming, does it blow your mind that Doom is still so damn good today? Like I personally, Doom and Quake, I have played both of them in the last three months for a while like and i'm not talking just pick it up and go oh this is fun nostalgia okay close it down like i have devoted some time to both does it blow your mind that those are still like as playable and as good as they were and that people finding them now are even finding them good they were genuinely coded well to start with i mean the the physics were good and the gameplay was good and as Nintendo has proved time and time again, the highest level of utmost graphics is not required to have fun. I agree. I agree. So you can go back to those old games and you can still play Quake. You can still play the original Tomb Raider. Uh, Doom is good. Uh uh, under the Quake line, the one that I think I really liked was the one that really put your brain into three dimensionals. It was called Descent. Okay, because let me just. It had I a, can't it had tell a, you it had how much money I spent. Yep, I spent so much money on different flight sticks trying to have the perfect experience to play Descent. Descent. And then Descent Two was good, but Descent One, especially over yeah. a modem when you're playing with your friends. Oh my God, that game was amazing. Just having oh, to was, think, like you said, thinking in three dimensions like that. I was yeah. playing it on a PC with a keyboard without a modem. But uh, yeah, the, the, the three dimensions of having to pitch forward and spin and rotate. And and yeah, that was fantastic. I love thinking in three dimensions. Uh, you can probably <laughs> tell that from <laughs> my work. Even then he knew. <laughs> There was another game, I'm trying to remember the name of it because it was spelt weird, um, that was a very good, if you're into Descent, there was another game. It was like a knockoff of Descent. Um, I'll, ha- I'll think of it at some point, but I'll probably put it in on the screen somewhere. But I'm trying to find it now as I'm talking to you and I can't find it, but it was on Steam. It was just a fantastic game. And it was... It was a knock. It was clearly a knockoff of Descent. Like it played the same. The physics felt the same. It was just modernized, and it was kind of like this taste of what Descent could have been had it come out on modern hardware. And it was kind of wild, actually. But yeah, Descent was. Oof, man, I'm having <laughs> I'm having all those good feels right now thinking about Descent. That's one that you can't really play on a modern machine. I'd have to get my hands on an older machine to play it on because I've tried it on this one. Just doesn't play. Like I have it, I still have it to this day. But that's wow! <laughs> I haven't thought about that game in a yeah. while. Uh, uh, maybe you and a lot of people think of games from that era as being 
super primitive graphically and really, really old. But I mean, I, I started with a Pong console. Console. <laughs> so did the, I. the console was, it was just a, you plug it into the back of the TV through the coax and mm-hmm. it plays Pong. That's all it does. And then we got another console right after that that did Brickout. <laughs> That's all it did was Brickout. It was just the Brickout machine. I don't know what the heck it was called, but you know, and and then the Atari Twenty Six Hundred came out. And we we upgraded to that. But I mean, so we we started our games back when lots of stuff was either text only or pre Twenty Six Hundred era. So. My my very first game system, the very first game system that we had in my house was the 1977 Coleco Telstar. That was the very first game system that was in the Ferrari household. And to this day, I have fond memories of playing those. Honestly, they were just terrible. Most of the games were terrible, right? Oh, it's hockey. Oh, it's tennis. Oh, it's it. it no, it's, it's kind of not. But... You know, at the t- you know, as a kid, you're playing this. It's like I'm controlling what's on the screen. Like there's there's a disconnect almost that happens when you start moving stuff on a screen with a thing in your hand. And I think that's kind of what translates into the digital fabrication thing that makes it so amazing. Because you know, we lived through a time where video games were starting to become a thing, and people were amazed that you could control what's on a TV with a device. And now we're controlling what's on a screen with a device to make a thing out of nowhere in the real world. It's kind of crazy, actually, that we're the same people doing all this stuff. We, we've definitely lived through a very fun transition period mm-hmm. as computers have gone from, you know, I mean, I had an Apple II Plus in the Mm -hmm. early 80s and that was the most amazing uh, 16k of ram that i'd ever seen used at that point and now i've got something that's you know about four thousand times powerful than that in my pocket Mm -hmm. and plays much much better games than the olympics with stick figures hitting the left and right arrow keys as fast as i can (laughs) Most of the games, most of the games, uh, Forsaken, by the way, that's the name of the game I was trying to remember the name of, the one that's like Descent, and it plays on modern hardware, and you you probably really enjoy it. It's very, very, very good. Controls are identical. Um, most of the stuff that, most of the stuff that I feel like that we were into, I was talking about this with John from um, Gen X Grown Up, too. It's amazing to me how well the stuff that we grew up with is aging so well to the point where when you hand it to a kid today they even enjoy it and i don't know of a lot of stuff that's out now i mean there's stuff now that doesn't even hold my interest now you know i'm i can't think of anything that's out now i love my nintendo switch it's my favorite console it's probably my favorite console that i've ever owned i love it i i love it love it love it and i totally am on board with nintendo's philosophy of make the games good worry about how they look later type thing but i can't think of a single game that's out now that i'm going to be nostalgic for in 20 years but i can tell you at least a hundred games off the top of my head that i am nostalgic for right now from like 1978 
you know, it's it's kind of wild. Might actually, have one. I I might have one that's actually a console game that's been out in the last couple of years that I might have fond memories of later. Really? That would be Breath of the Wild. Oh, I hated Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I'm oh, the one. Geez. I'm the guy that hated it. I'm the one. Donovan <laughs> just unsubscribed from your podcast. I know. I think I, I've I've lost Donovan. <laughs> It's okay. I like Donovan. I like your projects based on the game, but the game is not for me. It's just, I still play the original legend of Zelda though. If that, that means anything, but yeah, maybe, I mean, look, a lot of people like breath of the wild. I'm not going to take it away from anyone that likes it. It is. It's just not my kind of game. It's a little too much more like an adventure game than a Zelda game. I understand why people like it. It's just not for me. Yeah. I I think the only thing, uh, the only thing other than that, that I've actually been seriously attached to in the last couple of years is mobile. And that's the Mario Kart tour. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. They did a good job with that. It's been out for, I think two and a half years and I'm pretty sure I've missed maybe four days. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's it's a it's an addiction for me you know it's it's 15 to 40 minutes every damned morning i just can't get away from it i've gotten to the point where i'm playing pokemon go every day now okay and i I completely i completely i completely blame diana for this because i hadn't touched the game in oh my god okay so when i turned it on i started playing it on new year's eve we were at her best friend's house and i was i was like okay I, i fine you're playing this her best friend plays it i'm like you know what i'm just gonna fire it up we're within range of a pokey stop sitting on the couch so it's like if i'm gonna build some stuff up this is a good spot to do it i turn it on and i look and the last time i had played so remember new year's eve i'm playing this the last time i'd played before it was august 13 2018 Oh, I didn't even know I had cancer at that point. That's how long ago it was from the last time I played it. And I started playing it and I didn't know where anything was because they'd moved everything around. So Diana was kind of holding my hand a little bit, showing me where everything was. And I was getting comfortable with it. And the next day we actually went to a park over here by me. And we start, we played for like two hours. We were just catching and spinning and all of a sudden, like the muscle memory comes back and I'm winging curveballs out and I'm like, and I realized just how much fun that freaking game actually was. And it was like, oh, yeah, why did you stop playing this again? Like, did, did, how did this not get fun for you? Because it's fun now. Like, I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. Like, I'm sitting there on the couch every once in a while. I'll throw the game up. I'll catch a Pokemon sitting on my couch or I'll put my character in front of me so I can pet him and get fruit. You know, like I'm doing all this stuff like the old routines are all back and I'm enjoying it so much. But I don't know. I, I missed that craze. It just wasn't my thing. Sure. That's all right. Everybody has their thing, right? I mean, I'm yeah. I'm I'm totally not in the Minecraft or Roblox thing either, but that's definitely a, a big thing for kids too, you know. Right. Definitely. I like I've gotten to the point where I really like making stuff from these things. Like I really I've enjoyed like I was very proud of myself a couple of days ago. I wanted to I wanted to do an experiment with making wooden beads on the Glowforge. And I've actually been kind of refining that process a little bit. And one of the ways I'm doing it is one of the things I wanted to do is I'm like, you know, let me see what it's going to be like to drill into the into the bead 
even though it's only like a one eighth piece of wood. So I'd have to use out like a tiny, tiny bit, but I want to see what I can do. So I made a couple of pokeballs just to see what, the, and I was so proud of myself. I sat there on Adobe Illustrator and instead of downloading a picture of a pokeball, like an SVG, I actually made a pokeball, which doesn't sound like a lot, right? Cause it's like, oh, it's a circle, a line and another circle. How hard is it? Make one for the laser. And you realize how many considerations in that design you have. You can't have fills because they won't work. You can't have overlapping stuff because it'll cut through. You can't have just strokes because it's just going to cut a stroke. You have to make sure that everything is expanded correctly and joined correctly. And then if you have to make sure that if you resize it, you're resizing those strokes appropriately. Otherwise, you're going to make a tiny Pokeball that's just a big fat line. And all these things like I'm doing as I'm doing, I'm like, I was so proud of myself for figuring it out. And then I made it and it came out so cool. And I'm, I get that buzz because when I look at the, when I look at games that I like and I make something from a game that I like, it's recognizable to me. And that makes me so happy. Like I, I don't even get it with TV stuff or movie stuff, but there's something about game stuff, making game stuff in real life that just feels so fun. I don't know. I like to pull from all three of those. I mean, I love my gaming stuff, my TV and my movie stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I, I like to pull a lot of my inspiration from those three categories because I think they're cool. And apparently I've discovered that things I think look cool are things that other people agree are cool. <laughs> I would agree um, with that. I, I've at least come to the conclusion that I don't ever want to be that artist that makes things that he thinks other people will like. It's the reality is, is you make things that you think are fantastic and then other people will think they're fantastic. If you have good taste, there's an if in that one. If you You don't have have good good taste, taste, then the things you think are cool or maybe not. But I mean, if you've got good taste and you make things that you think are cool, then other people will think that those are cool too. I think, and I think, I think it's a, it's kind of um, a translation of passion, right? When you're making something that you think is cool, you're excited about it. And when you tell someone about it, you're excited to tell them about it. You know, when I made that, when I did that polycam scan of the pinecone statue, I was so excited about that. Not because it was a pine cone. Who the hell cares? It's a pine cone, right? But it was so cool to be able to see something in the real world, run around it with my LiDAR-enabled phone, get a really competent, not perfect, by the way, but very, very competent 3D scan of it, put it into my software, fix it up, then put it into a slicer, turn it into a 3D print, print it, prime it, and paint it. Like, holy crap, that was such a cool process. Like, and I was so excited about it. And everyone I tell them, like, look at this thing. And of course, the jokes about what it looks like have come from literally everybody. It wasn't just you. And I'm not repeating them here. But go to my Instagram feed and look at the pine cone. You, it won't take much imagination to figure it out. But um, in fact, even Diana said that's what it looked like, just so you know. Um, but... I was so excited about it. And you can understand why it's exciting when you really break down what we're doing with this stuff, right? Like yeah. my phone did that. My my phone. Do you know how long I've been tinkering with photogrammetry and it works like trash? And now it's like, oh yeah, well, it's, here's the missing piece. LiDAR, try it now. It's like, whoa. <laughs> that was I'm, it. I'm still trying to figure out how your phone emits or 
captures LiDAR in any way, I mean, is there a chip in an iPhone for that? Or- on, the, on the 12, 13, and 14 Pros, there's a LiDAR sensor on the back end front of the phone. Well, shit. That's cool. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> that is, that think- is cool. And I, I'm looking forward to the day when I can go and get a, just just a handheld 3D scanner for, you know, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. I, I mean, don't, I don't you, imagine you said, it's that far off. You, you said 3D, uh, what is it, DIY Dave? Mm-hmm. You had like a $1,500 scanner? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's take a decimal point off that in like a year or two when the, when the you know, technology gets a little bit more uh spread around and i'm gonna i'm gonna want one of those because that's cool i think what was wild about i think what was wild about seeing dave's is you know yeah it's fifteen hundred dollars right so let's leave it out there it's fifteen hundred dollars but that's technology that five years ago was six thousand dollars right and it's fifteen hundred dollars and i was he scanned me at maker camp and i was like because i remember how these scanners used to be and it was a slow process. You needed perfect lighting. You, everything needed to go perfectly, right? He scanned me under an, under an overhang in a pavilion at Maker Camp. In about 120 seconds, he had a full scan. Now, I don't know how long it took him. I know he had to clean up all the models afterwards. I know that everyone that got scanned, it took a while for him to get them all up into the folder where they all are because he had to go through and clean them up afterwards. And of course, with any 3D scanner, you're going to have to do that. I understand that. But what I'm genuinely amazed at is that in two minutes, plus some cleanup work, he has a really good scan of me, like a really, really good scan of me for $1,500. Well, to be fair, a couple of years ago, it might have taken three or four minutes. You're you're half the man you used to be. Fair, fair point, <laughs> fair point. But I had a, I was a lot rounder, so it is an easier shape overall. There's not as many wrinkles, <laughs> wrinkles. There's not as much form as there was. <laughs> fair enough. It's it's kind of wild though. I mean, just everything everything's advancing so fast. Like the new Shape Oco machines are incredible. The new 3D printers that are out. I mean, you and I are both drooling over an FDM printer. By the way, that's how crazy things have gotten. In 2023, Jeff and I, who have both seen the best 3D printing you can do, which is resin SLA DLP type printing, we're both drooling over an FDM printer going, I really have to justify not buying this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't need to justify it because I, I think I'm going to here pretty soon. Um, I was I was looking at finally taking the jump into the plastic pooper end of the world because I've never had a plastic pooper. And that's, a, that's amazing to me, by the way. You jumped straight into resin, which no one ever does. That's crazy. Well, you know, I looked at both types of machines and I looked at what I wanted to do with them. And I mm-hmm. wanted to print detailed little mario characters and tchotchke crap and the resin really had the 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 better details and it was missing all those ugly layer lines so i just decided to go that way with it i i didn't mind the small print space i mean you get this teeny tiny little plate you're printing on so that's kind of a limitation but i mean tchotchkes fit on the little tiny plate it's fine you know it doesn't bother me you know what the dirty little secret is 
even people with giant printers mostly print little things. That's yeah. that's ninety. Look, I'm not gonna say people don't print big things, but what I'm gonna say is, no matter how big your printer is, most of the stuff you print is not big. So right. that's an overrated thing. Like the Prusa I have is right. what ten by ten, I think. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's two hundred fifty millimeters by two fifty. So yeah, ten by ten. I've never yeah. maxed out the bed on it. Never. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, you know, three inch by four inch might be a little bit more limiting, but True. True. there's only been a few times where I've really felt limited. Now, one of the things I was waiting for on the plastic pooper was the ability to do the multiple colors because mm-hmm. I've wanted to be able to do multiple colors. And I thought that maybe I was going to buy your best recommended Prusa and then get one of those aftermarket uh, filament switchers that you run before the Prusa, and it's mm-hmm. like a what is it, a mosaic palette? Mosaic palette, yeah. You get the mosaic palette, yeah. It's probably your best. Option I was looking there. at the Prusa with the palette as a possible option to feed that need, but then then these guys from Bamboo come out with that X1, and I, I think I might just have to go that way instead. It, let, let's not do any it. aftermarket games. Let's let's just take the one that prints four times as fast as the Prusa, has six times more brains calibrating itself, monitoring itself, and taking care of itself, and does the filament switching internally and competently, although it does seem to waste quite a bit of filament doing it. It does waste a lot of filament. It, that's one thing, and I uh, whatever. I mean, it is what it yeah, is, well, but yes. It is what it is. Yeah. But I mean... Part of my problem is that I'm printing things in one color and then I'm handing them to a kid who has honestly very little care for artistic anything. (laughs) I'm not going to say he's not artistic at all. I'm just going to say he doesn't care. He has zero attention to detail and he'll just slap some paint on it in a couple spots and say, this looks good. And I'll be like, okay, well, you're happy with it. It's yours. That's all I care about, you know, but damn you know it's going to be nice to print something that actually has you know two three four colors and each part comes out the color it's supposed to so that's going to be you know world changing to come out with multiple color parts and you know the 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 hands are one color and the sleeves are a different color and the pants are color number three because you can do that shit i've seen i've seen so many sample prints of the of what it can do and just, it was funny because when the when the X1 first came out, the the layer lines and the printer, the slicer wasn't amazing. The layer lines weren't looking great. There was some weird ringing issues. There was some weird um, booger issues. And over time, with a couple of firmware updates, and this printer hasn't been out all that long. It's only been out a couple of months. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, this thing's great now. Like, look at it now. Like, even I love my favorite to watch has been, um, um, oh, my God, what's his name? bald guy ear pole things i forgot his name i'll find his name before we're done talking (laughs) but he does he's had one of these since the very first version of it and he's been raking them over the coals when they need it and praising them when they need it and he has gone back many 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 times and gone look what they fixed here look at this look at this look at this and it's kind of wild seeing how much this printer's improved just in the short time it's been out and i can't you can order one right now, by the way, in the end of January, you'll have it. It's on their website, 1500 bucks, 1450. So with the, with the multi-material. So 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that's one of the toys that's on my very soon to purchase shopping list. I don't blame I, you. But you know, it's it and that's the cheap one too, to be fair. The other one's gonna cost me more. And I'm probably not going to make any money from it either, but I'm going to have a lot more fun with it. What's um, the other one? Oh, well, I'm going to have to get myself a cyclone. Oh, well, I, I mean, uh, you know what? That's such a given. I actually forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just heard some great news about that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, on Corey's story the other day, he said he sold his fifth prototype. He sold the fifth prototype. Which, Made me very happy for Corey, but made me very depressed because I'm not ready to buy one for another few weeks. And uh, but I was only sad for about 30 seconds because his very next story says he decided to make another five prototype machines to release right away. Nice. So he's got a lot more uh, feedback before he worries about making any major changes to it. So I that means I don't have wait. to wait months for him to get past the prototype <laughs> phase. It means that, you know, I can maybe be playing with one of these toys next month. I cannot wait. I literally cannot wait for you to get your hands on one. And you don't honestly, had I not lost my job, you probably would have had one already because I would have bought it for you just so I could buy another one for me and know how to use it because I, in nobody's hands, do I have the faith that it will get torture tested as I have in yours. I am so excited for you to get one because me personally, what I envision, what I envision is like cranking out like lightsaber hilts and like Harry Potter wands and stuff like that. Like the kind of stuff that, you can 3D print, yes, you can 3D print all these things, but there's something about making a Harry Potter wand out of actual wood or making um, a lightsaber hilt out of aluminum, even if you just stick it to the machine after you're already done and you've cast it like Corey did. But, you know, all <laughs> that, all this stuff, like there's so many cool things that that machine can do. And the more I see, the more he talks about it and the more I kind of feel think about it now that i understand the way it works the more my mind is going oh my god i really want one of these things (laughs) like i really really want one i've wanted one since the beginning um Mm -hmm. my original plan did not include the shape oko um i I'm, I'm one of those guys that does like weeks worth of research into features and understanding what's what and trying to pick out the best model for me. And I'm, I'm a super comparison shopper. I spent like, I don't know, two or three weeks looking at CNC's and I, I was expecting a good chunk of money to come in. And I picked out a package that included the uh, CNC shark with like the 30 inch bed on it, which was, I don't know, it was like six or seven yeah, grand. Like six thousand dollars. Yeah. Six, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was looking like at that. it. Yep. And then they want an extra, I don't know, it's probably a thousand dollars for the rotary add-on to go with it. And I figured by the time I paid for two thousand dollar aspire and some tools for it, I should be, you know, clocking in just a little under 10 grand for the whole package. And that mm-hmm. that was what I did my research and found and decided I wanted. And then I, I found out that the, the, the money I was getting was going to be coming in monthly installments and not lump sums. And I wasn't going to have any 10 grand. So 
I start grumbling about, I need to go buy a cheap CNC now. I got to go. I, I, I was in no mood to start over my research. I just didn't. And I was already unhappy because I lost the machine I'd put together that I'd wanted to buy. And I wasn't going to be able to get it. And you're like, hey, you should get a Shape Oco 3. They're a great deal. And I went and I looked at the Shape Oco and I said, yeah, that looks fine. And I just bought the damn thing. Mm-hmm. I, it was crazy because I didn't I didn't research any other lower end affordable machines. I you you said this one's good. And I was just so done with the research and not getting what it was I'd picked out that I just the hell with it. I'm just buying this one. On the consumer, on the consumer level, on the consumer level, at the time that we bought these, these were the best machines you could buy. Um, You can make a case now that the Onefinity is a better machine. That's fine. I'm not going to argue with anyone who says that. There's a valid case to be made that it's a might in in some ways it's actually a better machine, right? But I will say that at the time it was this machine or an X Carve, and anyone dares tell me an X Carve is anywhere near the machine that this is, I will kick them directly in the teeth. You're an idiot. You're wrong. Now, well, doesn't mean that the X-Carve is not a good machine. Doesn't mean it's it hard doesn't to tell. have Nobody's place. ever gotten one assembled enough to get it to work. <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny. Of if all you the can't people put I know, it together, it doesn't matter how competent the damn machine is. Now, does it? I agree. I, I know so many people that have CNCs, and I know so few of them that have X-Carves. That's not to say, like I said, it's not to say they're bad machines. They are not bad machines. But the Shape Oco is a much better machine. It just is in every conceivable way. It's constructed better. It's more rigid. The support is better. The company is a much better company to deal with. Um, I'm, and I'm not just kissing butt because I had someone from the company on this podcast. I love my Shape Oco. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny how that's changed too. Like now there's uh, now Onefinity, you know. Granted, I didn't love that they were basically whoring every freaking influencer got a free one at some point, you know, every right. major influencer got a free one finity. And all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, well, yeah, well, I know I've been talking about my X car for the last four years because I got that for free. But now I got this for free and this is better, you know, or right, whatever. Screw those well, people. It was better. They're, they're <laughs> you be- can't argue they're- with their logic. Not only was it the new thing that someone gave me for free, so I'm going <laughs> to praise it, but it right. actually was much actually better. better. I mean. You move to a machine with ball screws instead of belts, automatic upgrade. And, you know, that was the same with, and that was the same with shape Oka, right? So the, you know, the, the the X carve was this, you know, wiggly, unrigid, weird machine made with aluminum extrusions and plates. And then you get the rails for the shape Oka and they weigh like 25 pounds each. And it's like, Oh, (laughs) you know, like this is a much beefier machine, you know? And the, the new ones have got the whole ball screws and all the, yep. yeah, it, it's hard to say whether the Onefinity's actually got a whole lot of leg up on the Shape Oco 5s not and Not anymore. Probably not once, anymore. Once you get up to the 5s and the Pros, they're pretty equivalent machines, Yeah, yep. I think. The, they're all pushing each other. You notice that Inventables, right. Carbide, and Onefinity are all pushing each other now, and that's just good for everybody, right? Because right now, if I wanted to upgrade, I have some really good upgrade paths from all three companies, and right. that's perfect. Because when I bought this, the only path for a quality CNC was the Shark, which is funny because you were looking at it and I was looking at it. Um, 
thank God I didn't go with the with the shaper. Not that it's a bad machine, but it just would have so been the wrong machine for me. But yeah, the Shark was the machine I was looking at too. I was looking at the smaller one. I was looking at the one that was, was it 24 by 30? Or it was like 24 by something. It was very narrow and long. I was like, yep, right. that's what I need it for. I'm glad I didn't go with that one too. But, and it was like four and a half thousand. Like, ugh. right. <laughs> it's like, who's going to, I don't have $4,000. So I spent three. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I spent three. You know what? We have been talking, I can't believe it, but we have been talking. For those of you that don't know, Jeff and I pretty much talk almost all day, almost every day. So the fact that we can talk for an hour this easily is nothing new, but we have been talking for an hour. So why don't we kick over and talk about some things of the week? Because I am genuinely curious to see what you're bringing to the table this time. All right. Well, I'm going to cheat. I brought two. I brought two. But, the, legacy, the legacy of Ethan is alive and well. <laughs> but uh, I, I figured that for my first pick, I was going to stick with the digitally creative theme and uh-huh. and suggest the most amazing digital creation video that I've seen in the last month or so. And that would be uh, Frank Howarth. I think you pronounce it Howarth, Howarth, and Howarth, yeah. But uh, making his uh, Christmas orb that came out a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, he did an amazing job. He he cut out a bunch of inlays, and then he he cut out a bunch of pockets and filled the inlays, cleared them off, cut holes in the inlays with the because he hadn't ever taken them off the CNC, so he went back and punched holes into the inlays. And then he filled the holes with segments of colored pencil. Yep. And then he cut each one of the inlays out into a, what is it, a pentagram shape? And I don't know, what was it? I don't know, 12-sided thing? Or he And he, he glued them up into... He did some weird jig with woodworking magic to do the, the angles and the bevels. And then uh, glued them together and then... Uh, then he stuck the whole thing onto the rotary and used the rotary to globe out, round off, you know, everything except for the two ends. And then he takes it off the rotary, turns it 90 degrees, sticks it in a couple of cups and puts it on the lathe to finish off the other ends. And it's just that he did an inlay on an inlay and woodwork magic and then a rotary and then more lathe magic. It was it was a combination of he 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 put it all together there. It was a it, awesome video. I didn't even I hadn't even seen this, and you sent me the you sent me the link to it, and I just saw the thumbnail and just went holy crap! Like because I kind of just even from the thumbnail, you kind of understand at least some of what's going on, and just what you understand from the thumbnail is mind blowing. And you watch him actually go through his process to make it. And there were so many points in when he's doing it where I was just like, he has a lot of faith cutting that down to a sphere that there's actually going to be material there. <laughs> like, me personally, right. I would never trust my math enough to expect there to be colored pencil at that part of the sphere when I was cutting it down. So it was well, it was impressive. That was, that was the risk he took and yep. it paid off. It's fantastic. But that's a fantastic video. Um mm-hmm. And then my, my second pick is the coolest 
artist that I've seen on Instagram in the last couple of months. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, yeah, you're fantastic. And <laughs> the 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 guy I happen to be talking about is a the most non digital creator, which is why I've got him as a pick number two. His name is uh, Kevin Stone, and his his Instagram handle is uh, Metal Sculpt metal sculptor kevin stone with underscores and he makes these huge mongus big metal sculptures he's got a t-rex with uh, the heads five feet big okay oh my and god he's, he's he's working on uh the dragon technically it's a wyvern if you know the difference from game of thrones um and it's maybe 30 feet long and about 12 foot tall. And it belches 15 foot gouts of flame out of its mouth. And it's just incredible. It, the detail, it's just spectacular. So wow. I know the guy's suffering with 95,000 subscribers on Instagram. But I think, you know, I'm not doing this for the sculptor. I'm doing this for the crowd. You need to watch this guy because it's cool. He doesn't need the followers, but you need to see something this cool going on in your Instagram feed. So that's for the <laughs> listeners, not for him. He doesn't need in his most In his most recent post, he has the T-Rex looking at the wyvern, and the scale of these things is just insane. <laughs> it's yeah. fucking insane. Oh yeah, That's, it's 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 crazy. Um, wow. There's there's a shot somewhere in his feed of the wyvern, and he has an actual adult human female sitting on its neck between the spikes, and she fits like she belongs there. It's wild. It's, wow. That is some and, serious scale work. Wow. This is this <laughs> incredible stuff, man. I mean, wow. he's he's one of those guys that's got a team that's helping him. But, you know, I, I think we're still going to give him credit for this. Oh, hell yeah. It's, it's the vision. The vision is what makes the difference. The, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that this Thanks. is a good one, man. Um, yeah. Metal underscore sculptor underscore Kevin underscore stone. You you guys got to check this out. This guy is insane. Oh, I wish I could. You know, what? he's a content creator. I'm going to have him on this podcast. You watch. I'm going to get him on. <laughs> Because well, you know, yeah, I'm expanding. I'm expanding what this podcast is for. It's for content creators too now because I want it to be because it's my podcast. But it's it's your show. You do what you want, man. Exactly. Um, no, this is a this is a really good one. Not that your first recommendation wasn't good, but this one is um, this is yeah. wild. I'm definitely gonna definitely gonna check out more of his stuff. He has a YouTube channel too, which is kind of cool. So I don't know if he's active on it, but let's see. Is he active on I, it? I haven't chased him down to look at YouTube, to be honest. He's got some stuff here. He's got some stuff here. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm subscribed to him on YouTube, too. There we go. Nice. Good call. Um, yep, he's also metal, metal sculptor Kevin Stone on YouTube, for those of you that are looking for him there. So. Cool. Um, my thing of the week is a recommendation from a friend. For those of you that... Um, Longtime listeners of Because We Make and Digitally Creative know that Steve Casino, otherwise known as the Peanut Guy, has become a friend of mine. And last week on the show, was it last week? Yes, it was last week. I was talking about the problems I've had trying to get the Tamiya um, Fine Surface Primer 
because Michaels doesn't have it. Hobby Lobby doesn't have it. Joanne doesn't have it. Um, Blick doesn't have it. Nobody has it. I can't get it anywhere. And it's my favorite primer for small stuff. So I asked him and I said, hey, since you use Tamiya paints, do you use their fine surface primer and do you have a source for it? And he said, I do not. What I use is Liquitex Clear Gesso, which I bought a bottle of on his recommendation. Um, I had never thought to use gesso as a primer for like 3D prints. And I am so glad he mentioned it because it is life changing. It is the best thing I have ever used as a primer. It's it's super, super. This is this one is the this one's clear and it's matte. Um, but it goes on super, super thin, like super thin. So you don't lose detail when you put it on something that's got a lot of detail and it dries like sandpaper. It almost feels like, like it has some serious tooth, no shininess to it, plenty of texture to grab paint. Obviously this is made to work with acrylics, but I'm assuming you could probably use anything with it. Although I don't know why you'd want to use anything but acrylics with gesso, but you know, you do you. Well, I would say it'd probably work with with enamels too, so you could probably get away with it. Um, as someone that's not a painter, I have mm-hmm. a what what's probably a stupid question. If you're using a primer, does it matter if it's matte or gloss? Because you're gonna cover it with another paint, which is either going to be shiny or not. Does the primer make any difference? You're not going to well, see it. You're covering it, right? Well, it, it only makes a difference in that you get more tooth with the, the, the draw, the, the less shiny it is. So satin, whether it's satin gloss or matte, you have, if it's less shiny, you get more tooth to grab paint. So it really is just a matter okay. of how easily you want it to grab the paint. And one of the things I like about this is that it's so dry like and so rough when it dries that you can cover things theoretically if you you could probably cover things with one coat rather than going crazy and you know because a lot of times especially when you use some of the paints i use which are heavily pigmented what you end up doing is you kind of drag the paint along and it doesn't bite onto what you're painting on and what i found with this stuff is that that just doesn't happen you put this on and it stays where it is and you don't end up dragging paint when you're painting over it. So the only thing that sucks on the bottle, on the bottle, I bought, this is a bottle of it. I got it at Michael's. I think I paid $26 for this bottle, but it goes a long way. this is 16 ounces. It goes a long, long way from what, from what I'm told. Um, The only thing is on the bottle, it says it takes 24 hours to dry. I wouldn't say it takes 24 hours, but I would say it takes a long time to dry. It does not dry quickly, but thin coats, couple of them make sure you got the whole thing covered and i think you're going to be fine with it so that is my thing of the week because i've used it a couple of times since i got the bottle and i am extremely extremely happy with it you know what else i'm happy with i am happy the people that support the show you are so correct jeff you're very good at this you're almost like almost like i've listened it's almost like i've listened to your show before like one or two right um the people that support this show are Matthew Serio of Artigiano Serio, Big Al Schultz of New York Woodworks, who is in the Bahamas right now, the bastard. Um, Tori Decker of Tori Did It. Um, Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and More. Jake Drews of Make With Jake. Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodwork. Christian Neary of Warren Works. Um, 
little note about Warren Works, Christian Neary. He is doing a project a week on his YouTube channel. So definitely go check him out. He's already knocked off two. He's basically took Jimmy DeResta's suggestion of taking a deck of cards and writing a project on each card, shuffling the cards. Every week he draws a new card and does the project. Very, very cool. So follow him on his YouTube channel. He's a good guy. Um, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. a weird guy. Look at that. See, I keep telling everybody, you just can buy your way onto this podcast. It does work. Um, Kim and Garrett of Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLO Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Rebecca Cole of Bexie Designs, Brian Arsenault, the Seven Hills Maker, Lars Coleman of Colorado Multicraft, Dave Bauer of Dave Bauer Art, Nick Birchtold of Birchtold Design Build, new to the list. Um, you guys may know him as the boob guy. Um, and for those of you that know, you know, you know. But um, yeah, Birch told Design Build. Go check him out. Jeremy Spies, Mike of Pixels to Prototypes. Donald LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking. Grant Alexander of the Clamp Podcast. And also new to the list, Brad Harrison of Brad's Customs. So go check him out also on Instagram. I think it's Brad's Customs or Brad's underscore Customs. But just look up Brad's Customs. You'll see Brad Harrison. Go follow him too. Um, I appreciate everyone that supports the show financially. It makes this show happen if you can't support the show financially share it um, tell other people about it leave a review if you're able we just got our first new review of digitally creative last week and i would appreciate it if you guys could head over there and maybe do another one even if you did one for because we make there's nothing wrong with saying you love me twice because i am a vacuous hole of affirmation as my former co-host told me and she's not wrong <laughs> nope ah <sighs> Jeff, it's been a pleasure, brother. I, I, it's it's funny how many times your name has come up since the rebrand of the podcast. Because man, if anyone if anyone can be called digitally creative, I can't think of anyone that fits that name better than you. I love what you're doing. I love watching whatever wacky thing you're coming up with next, and I love the fact that I always feel like I'm being shamed into doing more by you. So I do appreciate that as well. Um, the occasional kick in the ass of what are you doing in the shop today? always appreciated because sometimes it's nothing until you say that. So <laughs> I do appreciate that as well. <laughs> so um, we have some time for some technical advice. Um, things that I wish people would have told me two and a half years ago going into hobby CNC. A hundred percent. Jeff's words of wisdom to what Jeff's words of wisdom to close out the episode. Love it. Let's do well, it. If we've got time, I've got plenty of words and some of them are even wisdomous. <laughs> Go for it. Um, well, let's see. Um, zeros are a good one. Uh, are, are you have a tendency to do a top zero or a bottom zero on your projects? Most of the time I'm only engraving, so it's a top zero. Okay. Well, I'll support that logic that mm -hmm. if you're going to be doing engraving or pockets or anything that's a top surface only, then zeroing off the top is clearly going to get you the most accurate depth mm -hmm. per pocket. However, if you're going to do any cuts that involve through cuts all the way through the piece down to the spoil board, then for better accuracy, you're much better off zeroing on the bottom off of the spoil board. And that way you don't have to make spoil board art for your shop. <laughs> there's, Not that I've done that. Not at all. <laughs> there's, now, 
I, there, there's a time and a place for spoil board art because if you've got a big monster machine, you know, like Al's Hannibal, where you're running mm-hmm. a, a full sheet of one inch ply and single pass, then you really, part of the workflow involves chewing up the spoil board. That's the way those machines work best is to dig a little far and just blast through in one pass. So those, those you should have spoil board art, but if you've got a half inch piece of material and your hobby machine is going to take five passes to get to the bottom, if you get to the bottom and decide to go another 10th of an inch into the spoil board, why did you run two passes past zero? I mean, it's just, mm. if you've got a hobby machine and you're making spoil board art for your walls, I'm quietly <laughs> judging you. I'm just going to let you know that. But if you zero off the bottom, there's no reason you can't be cutting through the material and stopping right when you can see the blue tape, but not cutting it. But that's, that's the precision that you can get from cutting on a bottom zero. Okay. Um, and the next one I like, everybody wants to know when they start out about these mysterious speeds and feeds and chip loads. And there's these charts out there and they're 90 page long charts. And they tell you that if you're going to cut through hardwood and you're going to use a quarter inch end mill, then you should be running this many RPMs and this many inches per minute. The catch is, is that's not sufficient amount of information. There's too many variables to count. I mean, it's a good starting spot, but to be fair, that all depends on if you're using the right depth of cut, you know, per depth per pass and the amount of step over you're using. Mm-hmm. If you're taking a full width step over, you can't run it as fast as uh, just a grazing the edge kind of step over, you know? So the, the, the chart kind of loses you as soon as you step off the, the standardized path for what you're doing, then the chart's kind of out the window. So I'm not sure, you know, I've, I've read about them, but I'm going to tell you, I have not in two and a half years ever calculated a chip load and I have no intentions of starting now. And I could care less about a chip load. I really could. And I, I, I don't, don't even care. have one of those charts. <laughs> I don't care. I, I barely care about RPMs and inches per minute. And even in the most vague way, do I care mm. about those? Because it turns out that the controller software allows you to adjust your feeds on the fly, plus or minus 10% while it's running. So I'll start, if I'm running a quarter inch bit, I'll just throw, say, 100 inch per minute into the tool path as just a starting point. And then RPMs, I don't know, I just, you know, leave it on whatever the hell three and a half is on the top of the router. And that's just a starting point. And I'll start the job. And before I hit start, I'll crank the, the, the down 10% button. I'll down it to about 60%, which will start me out at maybe, you know, 60 inches per minute. And then I'll let it jump in. 
and I'll see how deep and how wide and how well it's chewing its way through it. And it seems like it's having an easy time of it. Then you start bumping it up 10% and bumping it up another 10% until it really starts to get some work done. And you bump it up another 10% and you start to hear it struggle and chatter a little bit. And at that point, you either back it back off 10% or turn the router up a half a notch to four. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. You play it by ear. It doesn't matter what the specs are for the bit. It doesn't matter what type of router bit you're using. It doesn't matter what kind of material you're cutting, what your step over is, what your step down is. You start the thing really conservative and you speed it up one notch at a time until it feels like it's doing the right amount of work. And then you watch it go. I think, I think I don't care what the numbers are. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of those numbers, I think a lot of those numbers are good for, for metal, right? It does matter more with metal, with Speeds wood. Speeds and feeds are for engineers and machinists. Yes. And yes. guys like Al with a machine, if you want to do a full depth cut through one inch of acrylic in a single pass, you have to have the machinist mentality for that. Right. But as a hobby machine... Know, right. As a hobby machine with with the one horsepower trim router and quarter inch belts driving this thing, I'm not demanding that wood get blasted out of the way. I'm asking it politely to please move. <laughs> and I'm going to take several shallow passes and I'm just going to push it as hard as the machine is going to be happy with, which is why I don't break bits. You know, if you start it at 60% and work your way up, then that that initial moment of oops, I accidentally forgot and went through a half inch in one path. You have a lot more time to react at 60% and you can either slow that sucker down to 20% or catch the pause button before you've really broken anything. Good deal. Now, and I was going to throw in something about end mills because everybody wants to know, what kind of end mills you're supposed to buy. And I've got some solid opinions on these because if you've got a straight end mill, they've got a spiral flute going up them. Now, depending on which way the flute goes, some of them, as the bit turns, the blade spirals upward and they call those an upcut bit. Mm -hmm. And those are good for if you're digging a path, it'll clear the wood chips up and out of the path a little bit better. But one of the negatives to that is that it will also pull the material on the top of the path up and out and it'll fray the top edges, especially if you get the blowout, especially if you've got plywood. Mm Mm-hmm. And the downcut is the opposite, where the spiral funnels the wood down as the blade cuts. And it works as well because there's enough action going on. It'll blow the chips out of the trench for the most part anyway. But it doesn't give you the top blowout on the top of the part like the upcuts do. And in theory, it's better to use an upcut bit when you're cutting through the bottom edge of a piece of plywood so it doesn't blow out the bottom of the plywood but if your plywood is pressed firmly into the spoil board it's got less place to blow out to so it's not as significant as an issue for me so much now 
The other thing I've got with upcut bits, I've had some serious problem with upcut bits that make me question ever using the darn things at all for anything. There's this guy that got hit in the head with an apple a few hundred years ago, and he made some laws of physics. And one of those, I believe it's the third one, says for every force in nature, there's an equal but opposite force pulling the other way. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got a bit that is pulling chips upward at a very, you know, steady pace, and therefore when that bit is grabbing into that wood, the wood is essentially trying to grab onto that blade and it's trying to pull as the blade pulls the wood up, the wood is grabbing on and trying to pull the bit down. So if you have an upcut bit and you go too deep, too fast into a groove, the wood will actually grab the bit and yank that son of a gun right down out of the collet, no matter how tight you've got it going. And you'll be doing a 0.1 depth of cut. And then two inches later, you'll be doing 0.15 and two inches later, you'll be doing 0.2. And the next thing you know, it just yanks that son of a gun right out of the collet and leaves it hanging in the trench. And I've had it happen with the upcut bit in a handheld router, let alone on the CNC and I just, you know, the, the down cut bit is pushing down on the material, which pushes the bit up into the collet. If it were to move, which is a much happier solution as far as problems are concerned for me, I'd rather the bit move away from the material than to progressively bite deeper and deeper into it as you go down the path. So I'm to the point where, I won't use an upcut bit unless I don't have an option. <laughs> I just, I I, I, I've sense. had it with them. I've had a few problems with them and I just won't buy them anymore. The logic well, is sound. <laughs> now, and, and I mentioned this to you the other night is oh, that yeah, the, I will also not bits. buy a compression bit. Yeah, compression so why can't we bits, use compression bits? Compression bits are intended for guys with full machines that have, you know, a, a 45 mercury outboard spindle and <laughs> run on 720 volts with vacuum tables and hold four full sheets of plywood that need to go through. It basically, if you don't have the power to go through a full depth pass on the wood, it's a complete useless waste of time. As a hobby machine, I don't do full depth pass on anything. If I've got a half inch of plywood, I'm taking it 0.1 and I'm running five depth passes to get Mm -hmm. through that material. The compression bit has a down down cut flute for the top 99% of the cutting space. So, And then at the very bottom tip of the bit, the last quarter inch or so, it flips direction and goes an up cut. Mm -hmm. Now, the entire point of doing this is that you set your depth so that the depth cuts just a hair into the spoil board intentionally. And the bottom bit, the, the up cut part at the very tip 
is contacting the bottom edge of your work, most likely plywood at this point. And that upcut at the very bottom prevents the bottom tear out by upcutting the bottom edge of the plywood. Mm-hmm. While the rest of the flutes are downcutting the top edge and middle of the board, these are intended for full depth, single pass runs. And if you're going to inch your way through it point one at a time, you're never going to contact anything except for the quarter inch of upcut at the very tip of the bed. And mm. it's a complete waste of 50, 60, $80 for something you're never going to use any of that bit unless you're going to do a full depth pass. And they're expensive and they're completely pointless unless you can blast through a full sheet in one pass. And that's not something I'm ever capable of doing with this machine. I'd break a belt in a heartbeat if I tried that. Either that or I'd have to burn out the router at maximum speed and run it at eight inches per minute. (laughs) At which point I'm not saving any time from doing faster, thinner passes, you know? Good to know. That's so that's good information. That's that, that's my uh, thought on why you should never buy a compression bit unless you've got a seriously powerful machine. Uh, the hobbies just they don't have any point to them. Save your money. Cool, cool. That that should be that last fifteen minutes should be its own video at this point. <laughs> that's a well, lot of. That's actually some useful information there for people getting into it or wondering what they should spend their money on or where they should spend their money. Right. It's, it's where you should spend your time on the learning curve and where you should spend your money on tooling and what's going to be the most problematic or least problematic for getting started, you know, and you, you could spend a week trying to figure out what the hell a chip load is and how you get the right chip load when you can just feel for it, you know, if it if it feels like it's struggling, you either need to speed up the router or slow down the damned feed. It's really pretty much common sense. And if it's not working, you know, speed up the feeds or slow down the router. It's you can always try something else. <laughs> it's it's driving with a steering wheel. You don't need to set it at at zero and then at 90 degrees. You can curve a little one way or the other if it feels like you're a little bit off center, you know? You you don't you don't bump yourself back into the lane by yanking it to the one side. You just ease it back a little, you know? Yep. yep. So Hell with the numbers. Just feel for it, man. I think I think that is. By the way, I think that's that's good advice in general. To hell with to hell with numbers. A lot of people get obsessed over the numbers. It's like the people that spend twenty years figuring out the perfect organization system, but they never actually put any information in their organization system. They just spend a lot of time on the system. You know, it's just make the stuff. Make the stuff. It's okay. The worst case, you're not going to damage these machines. Truth is they're pretty they're robust enough to to survive your mistakes unless you really just aren't paying attention in which case you probably shouldn't be using the machine anyway well <laughs> i've I, i've had to replace some stretched belts so right, stretch, but stretched belts i mean that's you know that's to be expected that's going to happen thing mistakes are one thing but catastrophic mistakes if you're making catastrophic mistakes you're just not paying enough attention i mean yeah 
or or you're using an upcut bit that get yanked <laughs> out of the collet. Take your pick. <laughs> One or the other. That may not be your that may not be your mistake. That just might be physics fighting you. <laughs> damn damn Newton. <laughs> damn Newton and his <sighs> apple, you know. If people wanted to find you, um, see what you're up to and learn more about you, where can one find more about Jeff Stein? Well, one can find me many places named a weird guy. I've got a YouTube channel for a weird guy and I've got an Instagram for a weird guy. Let's see. I've got a Reddit under a weird Jeff and I've got a website under a weird where you can find several products that are collecting dust because nobody ever buys anything. But Jeez. you know, I you know, I'm I'm actually hitting the point where I'm okay with that. I don't really want to be a production salesman. I you yeah. know, I just want to I just want to make stuff and find homes for it. You know, if I have to give it away, I don't even care. I mean, I, I had a whole pile of stuff here that I'd made in the last year and I gave away like two thirds of it around Christmas in one direction Perfect. or the other, just because what good's it doing sitting here on my website and in my basement when it could be in somebody's house being appreciated. I don't care if I made any money for it. I certainly wasn't making any money for it when it was sitting in my basement in a box. Now was it? So Excellent. I don't feel that I've lost anything by just giving my stuff away. You know what? You you you've lost nothing, and somebody else is going to be really happy, and that's a gain, also. So, that is a gain. Awesome, um, Jeff. Thank you so much for popping by. I really appreciate it. Um, um, definitely go check out Jeff. Jeff has been a longtime supporter of the podcast of both podcasts. Well, technically, it's one podcast, but Jeff's been a longtime supporter since there's been support to be had. Jeff's been there, and that's very much appreciated. So go check him out. See what he's up to. You'll even learn how to sharpen a pencil with a CNC, just like 135,000 other people have learned over the last couple of days, which is pretty insane. That's crazy. Um, You know, if I've got any Instagram advice for people, do something that looks really cool, except then kind of screw it up so it's not quite right. Because (laughs) if you do it perfect, people are going to go, oh, that's awesome. And then they're going to move on. But God forbid, if you do something that's really cool and then just doesn't turn out the way you hoped, you're going to get the interaction is it's this is the if you screw something up in the shop people want to watch something getting broken and i tell you people get all hyped about watching your cnc carve this absolutely perfect looking pencil and then gets up to the top and it's still got kind of a rounded tip on it because if if i'd have bumped the z down another if you another five thou it probably would have polished the tip on that pencil up to a point but because it came up with a rounded tip i've got tons and tons of comments between instagram and reddit of people just outraged with how i could use such a precision tool to come up with an absolute blunt tip on my pencil and instagram is rewarding interactivity and entertainment much more than quality these days and this apparently nailed it because (laughs) it looks like it's going to be beautiful and then it comes out with this blunt tipped pencil tip and it's just 
enough to drive people crazy. Nothing creates engagement like digital blue balls. I could have reshot this and done an absolute perfect pencil tip, but I would not have gotten 130,000 views on it in a few weeks if I had. Um, it's, It's that potential fail that really pushes reels to travel. There you have it. That's the best advice you can give. Screw something up intentionally just for the hell of it because <laughs> everyone yeah. wants to watch. <laughs> yeah. And if All right, you want everybody. Another, and yeah, and thanks for having me. I appreciate no coming and hanging out. It's been great and it's it's been a lot of fun. Absolute hoot. And um, go check Jeff out. Um, go check out his sharpening of a pencil because as I just said, Nothing creates engagement like digital blue balls. Until next week, everybody, have a great week, and I'll talk to you then.